Hello and welcome to Scene Saw, the official Saw podcast. I'm Anna Bogutska, film critic, host of the Final Ghost podcast and Jigsaw Stan since 04, and staring worryingly into a giant vat of pig entrails is my partner in murder puzzle solving, Catherine Bray, Amanda Truther since 05. And together we are two of the many, many Saw obsessives that are dotted all around the globe. We are dedicated to picking up Jigsaw's puzzle pieces every time he fancies playing a game, just like in the upcoming Saw X, which will be hitting cinemas from September 29th. So this week on the podcast, we are meeting the fans, producers and designers who have expanded the Sawniverse. It's a word now. We're making it into a word. The Sawniverse, not just a narrative scope, but in form and in fandom. Now, there are no spoilers in this episode, so don't worry about that. But what we do have in store for you is a cavalcade of folks potentially even more obsessed than you and myself, Anna, with the world of grisly murder traps and acolyte lore. So welcome to Seeing Saw. Let's play a game. Anna, I feel like since our last record, something something subtle has changed in you. Uh, is that a new sort of zest for life, a new appreciation of life that I, I sense in you? And, and would it have anything to do with a certain experience? I was forcibly put through <laughs> the Soul London experience, all a sacrifice for this podcast. It was actually my first escape experience ever. Wow. So my expectations were both very nebulous and very high. I expected to be scared. And indeed I was. And I have to say, this is where we're recording right now. The design, the layout, the art direction of the spaces, the voice of Tobin Bell coming through speakers that somehow seemed to be right on the nape of your neck through some audio magical reason. And it's his voice and they've lifted it from the films or he's recorded it? No, the... he's recorded wow. new stuff. And there's a story. So you kind of, uh, you know, you're part of a game. You're part of the puzzle. And, you know, I was in here with a team and with a friend of mine. And it's very much about teamwork as much as it is about individual survival. Uh, there was an unexpected amount of pig math to be done. Pig, pig math. Pig math. Pig math. I will not elaborate on that. <laughs> it was pig math. Uh, the people who know will know. Okay. But yeah, I had a I had a great time. And fortunately for me, but fortunately for you, it was also recorded. So Yay. we'll go through the excruciating for me and very funny for you process of watching me suffer on camera. I can't wait. It's like a bonus Saw movie that I've yet to watch. Uh, maybe I'll start watching it at Christmas along with all the other Saw movies. No, I've requested the production team to destroy the footage as long as soon as we're done with the podcast. <laughs> I love that you wore a cute little flowery Yeah, my little grandma dress. Yeah, nice. The rest of you are one step closer to saving the <laughs> Ah, look at your little face. Oh, my this was really scary when they put us all in the same room and the lights started just going off yeah you look genuinely upset in that one yeah i don't like that <laughs> yep, you look scared you look like genuinely scared there was a few moments where i was genuinely scared 
but it was just mostly fun. Mm -hmm. I think I got over the scared bit really quickly and then it was extremely fun. I was really gutted because for at one point I made a bad decision and I got stuck in a furnace. Uh, for I hate when that happens. Yeah, I know it's terrible, right? I keep doing it, <laughs> and then I didn't get to play with the with the big fake pigs. Tell, which tell, tell me fun. more. Tell me <laughs> more about the big fake pigs. It looked like you did get to play with them. Was that a well, yeah, special I, access as a when, saw podcaster? <laughs> when the team solved the pig problem, there was no vat, <laughs> but there was a pig-related um, mathematical issue. When that got solved, we the door opened. Mm. Before we continued out, I just got to spend some time touching the the hanging pigs, right, and admiring the anatomical detail because they looked like pigs, but they felt just like you know those stress balls. Oh yeah, it's like a giant stress pig <laughs> that you could just squish. So uh, that was really fun. After making you incredibly stressed with the experience, they offer you a like a pig stress squeeze. Pig. Yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> and then the ending was my favorite bit because that's when all the different teams that are doing the experience at the same time as you so strangers not people who are your friends are in the same team as you you all get into this one room there's an actor um i don't want to go into too much detail but basically you kind of have to interact by doing stuff so it's teamwork and it's very under pressure and there's a lot of yelling Mm. And I, I enjoyed that because I enjoy high pressure situations. So that was that was great. Teamwork makes the dream work. It's, <laughs> it sounds sounds like a sort of team building exercise. Like the, were there people there on team building exercises? I genuinely wonder. I don't know, but it would be a great one for companies to send their teams to do together. Yeah, who, who doesn't work well with someone they've squeezed a pig with? Literally. And also, if they wanted to, I would. If they sold those giant pigs, I would absolutely buy one. Right, yeah. I would have that high in my a room. statement piece for any contemporary lounge. Absolutely. So like the Amanda of East London, I have made it out alive. And now we are lucky enough to hear from the man who designed the Saw experience, Tom Bateman. Hello, Tom. So uh, first of all, Anna here uh, has played your game. Is there anything you'd like to apologize for? Her, her state of abject terror, perhaps? Uh, well, uh, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all personal. So it's, uh, I think it would have to, <laughs> to, up to Anna to sort of uh, let, let us know how she feels afterwards, really. I feel that locking me in a furnace and not letting me play with the hanging piggies was specifically directed at me. Fine, fine. Well, if you're brave enough to get in there in the first place, then then yes, exactly. So, Tom, before you were tasked with designing this escape experience, can you tell us a little bit about what was your relationship with the Saw movies? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm being totally honest. I was a bit of a late bloomer um, with the Saw franchise and with the horror genre in in general. To be honest, it, I probably didn't start properly getting enjoying it until maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Um, and it started, I started getting really into the sort of, because there's a big like push for kind of psychological ghost type horror films with the likes of the paranormal activities that were coming out and the conjurings and all of that kind of thing. Um, so that I started really getting into it through that. I'd seen the first Saw film before a, a number of years earlier. Um, and then I slowly but surely got around onto them and became became hooked. And especially when the, uh, when the conversations conversations with landscape started happening and we were talking about maybe looking at adapting saw I jumped straight into them all very very feet first and uh yeah it's been it's been a love affair with them ever since because that was 
you know, probably about five years ago now that we started these conversations. So compared to like a film or a play, what can you tell us about the writing process for creating an experience? With traditional proscenium arts theatre and films and, and movies, etc., you know, the audience is absolutely a character and absolutely paramount to everything that you're um, presenting. I think the slight difference with uh, the, uh, the with the work that we do in immersive theatre in general, immersive experiences in general, is that the, the audience are very literally a character. Um, and I think specifically with the work that we do uh, here at PATH, they, we really try to push for them to be the main character. So all of our audiences are the principal roles. They tell it, it, what is important is that at the end of the experience and at the end of the game, um, that they feel that they've told their own story and that they've been part of telling that story. And I think that's, that is something, and that's something that is really exciting because it becomes unpredictable, um, especially for our actors. There's only so much we can script when uh, the majority of the of the people in the experience are unscripted. Um, uh, and so I think that's something that we we really enjoy is like it's it, it's because it's, it's putting the audience, giving them 100 percent agency. And one of the things that really struck me and I think was probably the most instrumental part of actually scaring me during the the experience itself was the music. Charlie Cause's music, which is so iconic and so instantly associated with the Saw films. What do you think the use of the music really adds to the experience itself? It's been great um, to be to be able to use Charlie's music. You know, he's been very supportive throughout the throughout the development process. What's so so odd about watching films is when they're underscored. It's that's such a different element to life. Like there's no underscoring for the people in those situations in the, in those traps. Charlie's music's not playing around them um but it to us as an audience it absolutely is and so i think it was so paramount to to us to create that sore film experience for our players that charlie's music formed a part of that one of our key goals with developing saw into this experience was people coming out at the end of it feeling like they've been in a saw film and like they've been through their own saw journey and to use charlie's music to do that has been and vital. I'd like to pick you up on that. How would you describe a saw journey? Like when you're conceptualizing this and thinking of what you're going to put audience members through, how would you define the saw journey that you're putting them on? One of the key key elements for us is, as, as you say, is making sure that the the customers who are buying tickets for the experience do do have that saw journey. It's a story of of redemption and spotting those key themes within the saw franchise um, that we wanted to make sure our players experienced for themselves in telling that story. And so, um, one of the main discussion points that we had with Lionsgate right at the beginning of of developing the the experience was how do we make sure that customers who Come to the, come to the experience of their own accord um, are still given that uh, that reason for being in Jigsaw's games, and so that's why we developed the narrative that we did. Is so, and and we we kind of we put that narrative onto the players very quickly when they arrive. the The story is that the building uh, that used to be owned by um, John Kramer's Urban Renewal Group, so it is there. There are sort of links to to the franchise via that as well, has been um, nefariously taken over by um, a company called the Avaritia Property Group. Um, and the idea is that they got planning permission, this company got planning permission to turn, turn this old dilapidated um, uh, uh, abattoir into a block of luxury flats. And the reason the way they got that planning permission is by promising a certain amount of social 
housing and social uh, commitments and et cetera, et cetera. So our customers, when they arrive, are framed in this in this situation in this position of investors in the Avaritia property group. And they very quickly find out that, oh, lo and behold, we're actually, we've got rid of all the social housing requirements because of the genius of our CEO and their PA. Uh, and now we're all going to make loads and loads of money. Um, uh, and aren't we brilliant for investing in this wonderful company? And so that is why Jigsaw has picked on these particular this particular group of people um, on the tour that they were about to go on through the old uh, abattoir. Suddenly there are loads of situations that they need to find, get themselves out of. I wasn't expecting so much documentary realness, but yeah, you've nailed London right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and you've got Tobin Bell's voice as well. Tobin Bell's voice yes. is heard throughout the experience. I mean, what's it like to have him involved in that way? That's amazing. Yeah, it really was. You know, it really was, and absolutely no pun intended. It was it was a game changer for us um, in in that respect. We it was one of the strangest birthdays I've had. We recorded it last year on my birthday when I was on holiday <laughs> of all things um, uh, and we were in three different time zones with the Lionsgate team and Tobin and me in Spain it was it was an amazing experience um, because he it, there, there are there are those there are certain actors who just embody and are so specific to not only a brand but that character and it was a remarkable thing you know Tobin is such a lovely person he's so polite um, and and just so kind with his time and and with his talent, uh, and then just to see him in that booth switch to jigsaw, it sounds like a kind of a, 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 a pastiche and a stereotype, but it really was this kind of a, a moment where I was like, holy crap, yeah, this is going to be awesome. That must be incredible to witness, just that switch. Yeah, unbelievable. Was really jealous cool. that you got to be a witness for that in in this kind of international production really of getting those lines in yeah and one of the things that really struck me about the saw one it's not a single room with a puzzle to solve there's multiple rooms there's multiple versions of the experience that you can take and there's audio there's video there's locked rooms there's things you need to solve you need to work as a team and individually and actors can you tell us about the puzzle of assembling all of that together with the with the multi room escape room that that is becoming much much more prevalent um, at the moment and I think for us that was very important with this brand because it is so it, it is so synonymous with so many of the films themselves whereby we go to multiple multiple rooms players get separated um, uh, but there there is usually this kind of group mentality and this group target which is something that we wanted to focus on I think something that we've tried to push a little bit with um, the Saw experience from other escape experiences is blending that world of um, escape rooms and the, and a more sort of a traditional immersive theatre style experience, whereby the sound and the audio and the world really is built around you as if you are in that space. And a, don't get me wrong, a number of escape rooms do it do it wonderfully well, but what we've really tried to push is that that could, the continuation of the story through those rooms, not just physically but by the consequences of your actions. So whatever you, the actions you've taken in previous rooms impact how easy the, the final situation is that you're going to end up in. As I understand it, there are uh, kind of Easter eggs sprinkled throughout for the discerning Saw fan. Without yeah. too many spoilers, because obviously I now want to go off and experience the escape room myself. <laughs> um, what what elements were you most excited about in in that vein? We focused on a lot of very recognisable sets. Um, we've 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 
adapted a couple that to be fit for purpose. So for example, we do have a freezer, which is similar and inspired by the freezers from, um, from, from Saw 3, but, um, but, but has some of the subtle differences that we needed to make it work. And so I think, you know, it's, and I, this isn't too much of a spoiler, um, we did set it at Gideon's Meatpacking Factory. And so there are nods to that throughout. There are nods to characters that you would have, would have uh, experienced through that film as well. Um, the, the final trap is from is, is certainly inspired by by some of the traps from the films um and so yeah the, we we've tried to pepper them throughout and of course you guys are sat in the workshop which again we've tried to mirror from from a number of the films uh to 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 give again give the fans those moments throughout that they recognize thanks so much for your time tom no worries thank you guys very much so Anna, you said previously that you're the kind of Amanda of East London. Should I be worried? Uh, are you about to embark on a career as a, a kind of apprentice escape room designer, having spoken to Tom? I wouldn't say worried. I would say thrilled and excited <laughs> about this new world of opportunity that's just opened up in front of me. Because is there a job that sounds more fun than designing escape experiences for other horror fans or non-horror fans who go in, are terrified by your creation, getting to design those spaces based on incredible films, and also then to get to watch people be scared inside of your creation? through all the sneaky cameras that are around the space it sounds great exactly it's like being the ultimate kind of fanfic writer absolutely that's exactly it so between the saw experience and saw the ride which is the official saw roller coaster at thorpe park the uk really is starting to become a bit of a haven for saw fandom what do you think might be next a saw restaurant a saw boutique I love the idea of a saw boutique. I think maybe a little uh, saw interior design studio so you can get them to come to your house and, and kit out a saw room or maybe kit out the whole apartment, lovely little saw love kitchen it. with a saw breakfast bar, maybe a saw jacuzzi or saw clawfoot bar. <laughs> you must have a saw bathroom though, <laughs> that's the whole point. With that undisclosed, undetermined brown stain on the floor, yeah. it's like murder chic. There's different finishes, you can get the matte brown, you can get the gloss red it <laughs> depends on your budget but they've got options to suit all now here at scene saw we know that the saw fandom is comprised of some wonderful folks as is the horror community because it's the people who love nothing better than watching a man's skull being crushed between two giant ice cubes that are genuinely the loveliest people in the world the best and right from the very first release when the internet was still in its baby era the online discussion around saw has been immense and really active people have constantly been online kind of commuting around their love of the films and also around ideas for um, future traps or discussing potential continuity errors or goofs or who the characters are. Yeah and I think one of the things that I love compared to kind of 20 years ago when Saw first came out is the internet has expanded that has had good and bad effects on the world but one of the good effects I think is um, that something that sort of previously was quite a like niche interest online it's it's huge now. The Saw community is 
enormous. You've got millions of people out there interested in SOAR and kind of committed to discussing it online. SOAR influencers, who saw that coming? Uh, it's it's all, I think, a testament to the internet's kind of enduring fascination with Jigsaw. And on TikTok right now, which is probably my favorite social media platform at the moment, there's no one bigger in the SOAR community than Jiggy Saw Girl, also known as Bailey, who does this amazing array of videos that are deep dives into the films, into the traps, into the morality of the characters who are in the traps and her videos have garnered her almost a million followers on TikTok and almost 350 million views and even a cameo in Saw X which is probably the best kind of prize you can give a hardcore Saw fan I'm so jealous but she deserves it she's so funny I think that's the reason she's got that many fans she's hilarious she's really funny and really earnest you can tell that she's absolutely obsessed and loves the Saw films from start to finish. Bailey, thank you so much for giving up a little bit of your time to do this with us. And what's exciting about the upcoming Saw X is that we're almost getting a Jigsaw origin story, but we want to hear your Saw origin story. What made you wake up one morning and decide to commit to making Saw videos? So it's actually kind of funny how it happened. Um, when COVID and everything started, I downloaded TikTok, like I guess a lot of people did. Um, and I started making like lots of videos about making costumes and stuff like that. And I was really trying to follow trends and like try to do what I was seeing a lot online. And it just wasn't really working. I think by the end of like the summer, I had like maybe like 2000 followers, but I wasn't really having a lot of fun doing it. I was just kind of like just trying to make what I thought people wanted to watch. And then finally, it was like September. And I was like, you know what? I just want to make an account, like a side account and talk about horror movies. And my favorites are the Saw movies, obviously. And I was like, I don't care if anybody even sees it. I'll probably get like 100 people to watch it. Um, and it just kind of took off instantly. So I guess it really shows that like when you're more authentic and what you want to make, like more people see that and they like watching it more, which is crazy to me that people like hearing me talk about Saw as much as they do. But I love it. I love doing it. Okay, so it's kind of an obvious question, but we have to ask, do you remember your first Saw experience? Yes. <laughs> um, so fun fact, I my parents weren't very strict about like what movies I was and wasn't allowed to watch. I could basically watch anything. My first horror movie ever, I was three years old, and it was the 13 Ghosts remake, so starting early. Um, but for some reason, when I was like 10, um, I saw like an ad, like a trailer for a Saw movie. I don't even remember which one it was. And I asked my dad, I was like, hey, I want to watch these. And he's like, that's the only one you're not allowed to watch. Like, you can watch any other franchise you want, um, not those. And he wouldn't tell me why. Um, so I snuck and, like, bought, like, the whole set of the first seven. And I just remember binge watching them on my tiny little laptop in my room, like, under the blanket in secret. So nobody could see that I was watching them. Um, so that was my first experience with Saw is just, like, Head of being mischievous and doing what I wasn't and, supposed to be doing. Um, much like, I think, almost every other Saw fan, we're obsessed with traps. We do a thing in this podcast called The Trap Praise. And we wanted to know, what is your Mount Rushmore of Saw traps? That is so fun. Okay. Um... I think I'm going to be kind of biased. A lot of my favorite traps are in like the first three movies. Mm -hmm. um, I really like the angel trap. That one's really excellent with Detective Carrie in three. The needle pit with Amanda in two. Um, the marionette trap in Spiral is another one of my personal favorites. I love that one with Samuel L. Jackson. And then I'd say the glass coffin trap 
with Mark Hoffman and Peter Strong. I love that trap. It's just so, I just like the twist in that one a lot. And I think it looks visually very cool with the coffin and everything. As a committed, what we're calling a Hoffmaniac, um, I'm really pleased to hear that one in there. Um, and also the angel. I don't think anyone's mentioned that in a while. Is that yeah. Dina Mayer in that one? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, great. Love her. No, that's a that's mm. a fantastic answer. Um, building on that, I guess, um, what, what do you think are the ingredients for the perfect trap? So... I like it when like they some have of them a are twist, I guess, because two of my four involve like some, like the final twist of the film, I guess, like with the glass coffin and the marionette trap. Um, but I like the industrial feel of like the angel trap a lot with like just the way that it all works and the way the mechanism actually is. Um, I love watching the behind the scenes of how they like just made the machine and then like, grungied it up to make it look more saw. It's very cool. Um, and I guess to me, Usually the reason why the person is in the trap is very interesting, um, but I don't know if that really applies to some of my favorite ones because Amanda wasn't really supposed to be in the pit. Detective Carrie didn't really deserve the angel trap um, and neither did the other two really. Um, but no, I think it's just more so about how they look, like visually how the mm. traps look is what really does it for me. And the needle pit is very survivable in the short term at least. Um, so I don't even really think it's about that. I think it's just solely based off of like how they look, you know, like the vibe, if that makes sense. I know that's yeah. kind of a vibe space trap. So yeah. <laughs> no. no, totally. And, and, you know, on your, on your channel, you do kind of point out the characters that perhaps deserve to be trapped by Jigsaw. <laughs> who do you think out of the movies that are out already? So everything except Saw X, who do you think are the mm. characters that deserve their traps the most? So I'd say basically everyone in Spiral. That's a really <laughs> easy one. Um, it's like, that's like the first Saw movie where I'm like, I don't even think it's debatable. It's like, I think if you watch these movies, you're like, these people are all very terrible people and like deserve what's going on. I mean, maybe not like, maybe not like as gruesome as what's happening in the actual films, like a serial killer, but like they deserve, like justice needs to be met in some way. So I think that's a really easy one. And then, um, Ivan from Saw 4 is one that people talk about a lot um, as like most deserving. I get a lot of comments about that series of like, do you think anybody truly deserves this? And I'm like, this is for fun. You know, we're talking about horror movies going back and forth. Like if the answer is yes, they do or no, they don't in this context, you know, but um, I like doing that series. It's very fun. It gets a lot of conversation started in the comments. Yes, it's important to stress that a lot of this is in fun. We're not sort of seriously proposing capital punishment or, you know, torture as a form of interrogation in IRL. Well, talk for yourself. Yes. Okay, sorry, Anna. Anna is proposing that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know one of the things that we've also noticed on on your tiktok is that you propose quite some uh quite a few solutions for some of the traps what scenes do you remember watching in the saw movies where you are thinking no don't do that do this instead and you'll be able to get out of it the easiest one for me is the water cube trap from saw five mm-hmm and, and it's like, I've had that thought ever since I was a kid, the one where you know, it's filling up with water and he's trying to get out of it. And he's very smart, like the emergency tracheotomy, not what I would have thought to do first, but <laughs> applaud to him. Um, but ever since I was a kid, it's like, I could see that rubber piece that's right here. And I'm like, if you just like slide it forward, like all the water would rush out. And then when I watch the behind the scenes, that's exactly what would have happened. So I'm just like, Peter, if I was just in the room with you, I could have saved you a lot of heartache. <laughs> <would have> <laughs> So that's the one, and that's the, the first um, How I Would Survive video that I ever made, um, like three years ago. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's the first one that pops into my head immediately of like, 
and me furiously yelling at the character through the TV, like, why don't you just do this? <laughs> As if I would think of it in the moment, you know, but like. Saw has played around with timelines a lot. Like obviously Saw 3 and 4 running concurrently, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen those. Um, but yeah, Jigsaw running two timelines at once. And now Saw X has a little bit of like going back to, I mean, not the very beginning, but early doors in, in Jigsaw's uh, narrative. Um, what do you think's most exciting about that shift, about starting between Saw's 1 and too. I think it's really exciting for a lot of fans, like myself included, that like you could be seeing lots of characters that you haven't seen in a very long time. Like there's good potential to see characters that we know don't make it to movies seven, eight or nine, but they are around in this timeline. So it's exciting to see what else could be going on during this point in John's life. Um, and I think one thing the Saw movies are really good at are taking things from other films and referencing them later and turning them into twists or other Easter eggs. So I think this movie just has the capabilities to like, or the potential rather, to be full of different little twists and events like that. And that's what I'm the most excited for, for, for X. I think that could be really, really cool. Yeah. And for me, I mean, seeing Amanda back, um, given the kind of the gap between when she first appears and now, there was also a sort of fashion moment because it feels like fashion has rolled back around that time period. And she's got this fantastic sort of millennial look with the combat pants and the boots yes. and the little haircut. It's very, you know, someone from Bergheim going to brunch. It's, it's lovely. <laughs> and, you know, in the intervening years, that that look has sort of fallen down the fashion uh, stakes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's nice to see nice to see that back on top. That's one reason I'm pleased for the reset. Mm -hmm. I love her new haircut. I've seen a lot of people on uh, online like teasing her for her new like bowl haircut that she has. Mm -hmm. I think it looks cute. I think it, it suits her very great. well. Come on. Who I mean, she can people? pull off anything, yes. can't she? She certainly can. We've both seen Saw X and we really were struck by the performance in a certain coffee scene. Um, especially the performance of the barista, just a, a brand new acting talent on the scene. So Bailey, tell us what it was like to actually be in a Saw movie, especially considering and knowing that you're such a big fan. It was crazy. It was the coolest thing I've ever gotten to do. It was, I felt so honored being there that day. I was on set for one day and I had never met Tobin Bell before. A lot of people think that I've met him at like a convention or something like that. I'd never met him before that day. And getting to meet him in like an onset work context was so cool. Like he was so, so kind. And it was uh, like everybody there was really, really nice. Uh, working with Kevin, the director, um, I got to meet with Mark Berg. Um, it was amazing. And it was so cool to feel like this franchise that I've loved for like over a decade like kind of like loves you back in a way. And it's like, hey, we would like to have you here. Like it was super cool. It was it was amazing. Um, many tears were shed when no cameras were looking. I was so I was so excited. It was it was awesome. It was filmed in like a real cafe in Mexico City. So it, um, we just kind of like took over a pre-existing cafe. And um, there were a few um, like extras and like background going on. But the main scene was between Tobin Bell and Michael Beach. And so I got to talk to them most throughout the day. And it's crazy to me because I've never been on a film set either, like how many people are really there versus like what you see in the actual shot. Like the amount of people that you see on the screen, there's like 
three to four times the amount of people just all huddled around the camera, like right behind. Um, and everybody's trying not to bump into each other and walk over each other. But yeah, everyone was nice. Toby Mill came up to me and told me to not be nervous. And, you know, he was making like jokes about his character, you know, being the bad guy. And he's like, don't be nervous. Like, I'm not going to do anything. Like, you're great. Like, you're golden. <laughs> Get his coffee order wrong. And, you know, you could be strung up in chains or, you know, anything could happen. That he really helped my jitters like a lot because, um, like when I first got there, they were kind of like getting everything together very quickly. And so they like briefly introduced me and Tobin. We shook hands and it was very fun, very cute. But then when we were about to start, he got up from his seat in the scene and he like walked over to me um, unprompted. And he was just like, hey, like, don't be nervous. You're not going to mess up my order. Like, you're good. <laughs> and um, like from that point on, I felt a lot more calm, a lot more chill. Because before I was like so nervous. I'm like, I don't want to do anything silly. Like, I'm not used to stuff like this and like I'm meeting all these people for the first time it's like a lot of pressure <laughs> but Tobin was an absolute sweetheart he was so 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 nice and I'm imagining quite a firm handshake oh yes <laughs> one of the things that we've gotten a sense of just from being Saw fans but also from the interviews that we've done is that the Saw heads or the Soniacs we're still debating the nomenclature there but it's very much a community what is your experience of kind of Saw fans online being on like Twitter or I guess X um being on X and then being on uh TikTok and it's crazy to see like how wide the fandom really is. Um, Cause I guess growing up, I didn't really realize that cause none of my friends really watched Saw, nobody in my family really watched it. Um, so like seeing the excitement before Spiral was really, really cool. But I will say looking at like the numbers and the difference between the excitement before Spiral and the excitement before X is crazy. Like, I feel like the fandom has never been this activated. Like, in, like since like maybe the original seven, like it's wow. very, very exciting to see. Like I'm seeing people from like all over the internet, every site, like hundreds of thousands of people, which is very awesome to see. It makes me very, it makes me even more hyped for the movie. So I'm used to seeing it on TikTok because they're all like by me, <laughs> but seeing it on all the other websites where I'm just not Jiggy Saw Girl is very, very cool. Um, I don't know. I'm very excited for the movie and I'm glad that a lot of the fans seem to be very, very excited for it too. It's because they've rebranded Twitter as X, right? So people think it's a tie-in. <laughs> that's how I joke with my friends that that's what I think of the app is because I only use it for Saw stuff. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, this is the Saw X app every time I click on it. <laughs> and do you think that excitement is mostly because of the return of Tobin Bell to the franchise? I think so, yeah. I think it has to do with Tobin and a lot of people are really excited to see Shawnee Smith again. I mean, I think it's just like the return of the original cast is like very exciting to everyone. And I think the fact that it's Tobin's first time being like the main protagonist, I think that's exciting for like a lot of people. I think that's going to be a very big draw for them. Yeah, the prospect of like a real acting showcase for Tobin, it's just, I mean, that's that's the major reason I was excited going into it, I think. Um, but speaking mm. of fan favorites, do you think um, we'll be seeing the barista turn up in Story 11? I hope so. If there is a <laughs> 11, I really hope so. Who knows? Maybe I am like, I just an apprentice in hiding. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much to Bailey for joining us. Now, we've been talking a lot about the world of Saw and its fandom, but it like literally is a world, isn't it? There are fans all over the globe. Totally. And we got the chance to speak to Belgian content creator Jill van der Meulen, also known online as Silent Jill. Amazing name. I'm going to rebrand as Silent Catherine. <laughs> Which is probably the perfect name if you're really into horror, isn't it? Maybe not so much for a podcast now I think about it, but yeah. <laughs> 
And as you can probably assume by that name, Jill is obsessed with all things supernatural, horror. She does these incredible videos where she goes to investigate potentially haunted or spooky places. And those videos have garnered her up to 600,000 subscribers on YouTube. And we got a chance to speak to her about what it is about Saw that makes it such an enduring franchise. So Jill, we'll dive straight into it. Do you remember the first time you watched a Saw film? I actually don't remember how old I was. I'm not 35, so can you tell me how old I was? Because I remember watching it, but I don't remember my age. Yeah, like 17 or something? 17, all right. Um, I remember, I just really remember being shocked. It was a shock because I'm, I'm a huge horror fan. I watch horror movies since I'm a child. Um, uh, I was a, a sneaky one, so my mom wouldn't allow me, of course, to watch those kind of movies, but I, I was doing it at my friend's house anyway, and I just loved it. But um, when the first time I watched uh, Saw, I was really in shock by the scene because it was so... You could see everything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and did you have any sense that it was going to be like that going in? Did you have any preconceptions about what like, Saw was going to be? No, because I thought it was more uh, like... Um, uh, a cop movie, you know, um, I thought maybe something kind of like the movie Seven uh, with Brad Pitt, you know, uh, I was more thinking about that kind of vibe. But when I saw um, how graphic it was, that's the word that I was looking for. Graphic. It was so graphic. Uh, and then I, I actually loved it. What surprised you the most out of that first experience, but also every subsequent Saw film that you watched? I'm always thrilled about all the details that you can see in the film and everything that goes through your mind. You know, um, you can watch a horror movie that's really graphic, but there is no story. So you're kind of bored. Uh, you just enjoy the graphic scene, but then you're bored. Here you always have like a really uh, fine story with lots of details. You have to think about stuff. You have to, you never get bored when you're watching the movie. And that's something that I love about it. Saw X is the 10th film in the series. Why do you think audiences keep coming back? You always have so much details and I'm really excited to see uh, the new uh, trap. And you know that every time it's going to be another thing with other details and it's very specific and, and you're like, oh no, like how did they even thought about it? You know, you're like, yeah, you, you kind of need to have like a really up mind to think of all those kind of stuff. And you're like, oh my God, this is cr so crazy. I, I would never thought about it, you know? So that's what I love about the movies. It's like my mind would ha never have imagined that. So you get always surprised by what they uh, came up. That feels like the moment we have to ask about which your favorite trap is, right? Yes. I actually have three favorite ones. Can I say three? Absolutely, go for it. <laughs> All right, so Michael in Saw 2, uh, you know, when uh, Jigsaw uh, tells him he must take the key out of his eyes uh, to open yes. the trap around his neck and his face. This one is awful and I love it. I remember the scene when he's like showing where the key is. I was like, no way. <laughs> so that's a crazy scene. Um, Angie Garcia in Spiral, when she has to stop uh, the burning wax to come yeah. on her face. 
I'm claustrophobic. I hate tiny spaces. So every time they get stuck in tiny spaces, it makes my heart beat so fast. Um, but here, the fact that she's she's um, st she's like um, uh, taped on the table, she has this thin um, light cover on her face and this like burning hot wax falling down. I'm like, oh no, this is awful. This is really awful. Uh, and the last one, and I think it will, it's actually my favorite one because I hate needles. Um, I'm covered up with tattoos, but I hate needles, uh, like a lot of tattoo people. Um, and in Saw 2, when, uh, um, when Amanda has to go uh, in the pits full of needles, this one is giving me chills every time I'm seeing it. That's my favorite trap as well. We're on the same page. This is lovely. And you've just, I've just realized you've got a lot of tattoos as well and you've also picked the needle one. I mean, I have no tattoos at all and I'm not afraid of needles, so I didn't pick that one. There's something there that we could explore if this was a longer interview. But yeah. <laughs> I'm not afraid of needles, but I am afraid of needle pits. Right. <laughs> because as Catherine said, you explore so many spooky places um, for your channel. Do you ever still get scared by movies? I actually do. I get scared... Um... Not so often that I used to be when I was a teenager. Um, and also it's true. Now I'm, I'm going myself in really creepy, um, spooky places. And, uh, you know, I'm not going with a whole camera crew and 10 people uh, were like, usually we're four people. Um, and it's always, uh, we always go there by night. Uh, and so it's very terrifying some, uh, sometimes, um, but I still get scared by movie. Um, I don't get scared by a movie uh, like so because, you know, it's not something that could happen, for example, inside my house. But I still get really uh, creeped out by movies with ghosts because that's what I do. That's what I do. I, I'm, I'm a ghost hunter and I see things uh, when I'm ghost hunting. Uh, true things and so I when I'm coming back home I'm like mm, I just hope something doesn't follow me um, back to my house so when I see horror movies with ghosts that's where I'm I'm getting really fast I'm get I'm getting scared really fast <laughs> Thanks, Jill, Jill. thank you so much for your time and for sharing your soul fandom thank you girls that was the wonderfully spooky content creator, Silent Jill. And now to round off our corner of Saw fandom is Amelia Clark, the Kerrang! radio host, horror obsessive, and all-round Saw head. So, Amelia, hi, thanks for joining us. So, on the podcast, we've been trying to work out what the best collective name for people like ourselves is. Saw heads, Sawniacs, sociological studiers... <laughs> Oh, I like, did you say Sorniacs? Sorniacs, yes. yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it does sound like either a group of foods or something medically wrong. But I kind of like that. Yes, it's, I'm sorry, I, I can't like have it. that. I'm a Sorniac. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm a Sorniac. Oh, okay. What's that? It sounds like something bad. I kind of like it. <laughs> nice. Okay, we'll go with that. And Amelia, I think that all soul fans go through this point this tipping point where they go from being intrigued to being obsessed when did yeah. you realize that you had gone over to the obsessed part oh my gosh i remember with saw one or as it's known saw 
And I've always been like the horror person with my group of friends. So it's like, oh, Amelia, bring a horror film. We'll all watch a horror film. I was like, okay, cool. I've got you. Bought Saw. And I think it was the reaction to other people watching it. So obviously I knew John Crane was on the floor. I, I knew all of that. Spoiler alert. But it was the reaction to other people and the twists and turns. And I just completely fell down the rabbit hole. Even like the psychological aspect of Saw as well. Why is John Kramer the way he is? All of that just completely just... I plunged all the way down the hole in the whole Saw franchise. Yeah, but definitely that kind of watching other people, the levels of gore kind of getting more and more and more intense as well. It's just like, oh, lovely. It's so <laughs> much fun, isn't it? When you get to introduce someone to Saw and watch them watching the twist for the first time. I absolutely love that. Uh, yeah. did, did you, Saw 1, as we're now calling it, I think, did you mm-hmm. start with Saw 1 and then work your way through one by one? Or did you kind of dip in mid-cycle and then kind of come back to the first? What was your sort of um, Saw chronology? Oh, it was Saw 1. It was Saw 1 because I remember seeing the kind of trailers on TV and being like, this looks insane. Ooh. And like I said before, because I'm such a horror head, I was like, nothing can freak me out. Nothing can gross me out. This is whatever. I can watch this. And then, yeah, watching Saw 1, I was like, okay, this is a really, really cool. So yeah, started off with Saw 1, then gradually, because I think when Saw actually started, it was every Halloween we'd get a new Saw film that gradually kind of faded off. So it would be me like waiting when Halloween was coming around, like, when's the next Saw film? I'm dying to watch it. So yeah, one and then steadily progressed. And this question kind of like must be asked in any interview to do with Saw. It's always hotly contested. <laughs> Favourite trap? Oh, I was thinking of this because obviously the reverse bear trap is completely iconic. We all love that. That's amazing. We didn't get to see the actual reverse bear trap work until like Saw 7, I want to say, when we actually saw it happening. But I would have to say... In Saw 3D with the horsepower trap because I'm a massive fan of rock and metal music. Chester Beddington, I was like, what, what are you doing here? What's going on? <laughs> um, just that. And I think that was the first time as well we saw a trap that incorporated multiple people as well. Mm. So I was like, wow, any anybody can get it. <laughs> and Amelia, in Saw X, we get to meet John Kramer kind of in a, in a strange point of in his life mm. before he fully becomes the force that is Jigsaw in Saw 2 and directly after the events of Saw, Saw 1. What intrigues you about meeting the character at this point in his life? I think the when I first heard that we were going to get a mid-call, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Then the positioning between your one and your two, I was like, okay, this is great because this was peak saw. Your one, two, and three was peak saw. So we haven't seen John for ages. He, he died in Saw 3. So coming back to him and seeing him and when he was powerful and when he was like new and even before the whole traps got conceptualized really and actually working and stuff like I'm really excited to see how they're going to weave all that in and also we get a lot of Shawnee Smith in this film as well which I'm very very excited for more Amanda Young I just love the relationship with John Kramer and Amanda Young anyway that father-daughter bond that they have that kind of like jealousy that Amanda Young has like I just yeah I love it so really excited to see him. And where would you like the series to go next? Ooh, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. I do like the idea of like a mid-call. So I don't know, maybe if we're going to see more mid-calls. That would be quite cool. Maybe we're going to drop into the Saw universe in different 
different times as well. That would be really cool as well. But I think that the Saw franchise is in really, really good hands. And us as fans, we just know it's going to be sick. So I'm like, whatever you guys are going to do, I trust you. It's, it's going to be sick. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Amelia. It's been a joy. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Now, Catherine, outside of the protected walls of this part-time podcast studio, full-time Saw murder trap, you don't actually spend all of your time trolling through Saw Reddit threads or reading up on Saw Wiki, do you? More's the pity. (laughs) Now, I know that would be your dream job. It certainly is mine. But you also produce films yourself. So you must have been buzzing to talk to our next returning guest to the podcast. I was super excited to speak to the producers of Saw, Mark Berg and Oren Kules. Uh, I mean, they've been in this since day one. So they've got that real kind of bird's eye producer view of things. Like, it's completely different from speaking to an actor who might be in one scene, you know, where they get beheaded and they'll have a very specific perspective on that. But it's very it's very granular. Mm-hmm. These guys, um, they can give you the overview and they sort of also have that industry perspective on it. It is one of the franchises that has made the most money compared to the amount of money that's gone into it. So it's extremely profitable. I wish I knew how to do that in my producing we don't make a tenth of the money of even like one Saw Films merchandise. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're, they're very talented producers evidently and it was exciting to speak with them. That's beautifully put. So here they are, Mark and Oren. So we'll jump straight into it. Um, Mark, Oren, thank you so much for giving up a little bit of your time to do this for the podcast. It's been 20 years since that first Saw short film came out. We're now at our 10th Saw feature film. We see studios try to set up franchises left, right and center, but not always been so successful while Saw endures. Why do you think that is? I don't know. We've two, you have two, two of us just... Uh... For some reason, just keep plowing forward. We uh, honestly, we work for the fans, and I'm not trying to be some cliche, but we literally listen to them. We read all the Reddits, we read all the stuff. We have people pull different comments for us, and we just know that you know we should keep going. Well, that's kind of a perfect tee up for our next question because the Saw fandom is so passionate and so vocal and so active online. Do you consider the fans or how much do you consider the fans when you're planning the direction of the next film? Yeah. Have the fans ever stopped you doing something that you were you were planning and then you saw that people were reacting badly to that kind of idea? Like how how kind of into the nitty gritty uh, do the fan thoughts really? We listened to the fans. We did a giant brand study with Lionsgate and uh, it kind of told us why fans started the franchise what they liked about it, why they, you know, if there was franchise fatigue, why they stopped coming and what, you know, what they missed and what they liked. And we went right back to, and we listened to the audience a hundred percent and saw 10 is the movie that the fans asked for a hundred percent from, you know, what characters they missed, who they wanted in the movie. That's why we set it back between saw one and saw two. So we could bring back the fans that that the audience missed and, and loves. So we went right back to to what our audience loves about our franchise. So I'm assuming Tobin, that must have been high in the mix. This is a story for for the fans really of Tobin Bell because he enters this movie as John Kramer, not as Jigsaw. In the first 20, 30 minutes, I don't have a stopwatch, 20, 30 minutes of the movie, he, he's John Kramer. And... 
Um, it's a really interesting way. This by far, I mean, I, I'm not sure, but you could probably take all the different movies combined and he might have more screen time in this movie than the others combined or close. Yeah, this is absolutely his movie. Maybe unless you count him lying on the bathroom floor as screen time, but I'm not sure we do. <laughs> exactly. Correct. Well, you know what? We, we, you know, just so you know, we started shooting this movie on uh, September 22nd of 03. So we're uh, about a week, a little bit more than a week away of our, our 20 year anniversary of shooting Saw 1. Happy wow. anniversary. Yeah. And the great story is we, even though we had no money, we, out of respect for the actor that Tobin Bell was, we offered to make a complete dummy prosthetic, whatever, you, you know, with combination prosthetics and, and dummy to lay on the floor um, while we shot six days in the bathroom. And he insisted on doing this every day. All we did was we cut up a piano blanket, like a moving blanket, and uh, laid it on the ground. Uh, and that's all he insisted on doing. And he insisted on being there for all six days just to stand up. Wasn't there a guy in that in that first movie who actually turned down the role of Jigsaw because he didn't think it was a big enough part and he ended up as one of the victims in one of the traps? I think I read that, one of the actors. Maybe the razor wire guy uh, was offered Jigsaw. No, no, the razor wire no, the razor wire guy was one of my son's hockey coaches. And, and, you know, when you talk about the fans, you know, Mark and I look at each other sometimes and we hear things all the time that are blatantly, I don't want to say not true, but either our memories fail us or we don't really think. Um, I, I honestly don't think that... It, Tobin Bell, I'm 99.9% .9 sure was our first choice um, yeah. when we did this movie. So I, I don't think that of all the rumors, that's one I'd never heard. Oh, that, that makes sense. He is sensational. Why would you offer it to anybody else? Yeah, we wanted Brad Pitt, but he was unavailable. <laughs> <laughs> so no, Tobin was, it was only Tobin Bell. And coming back to the the film that's coming out now, it feels like two big anniversaries rolled into one. It's a 10th movie. It's the 20th anniversary of, you know, you making the first one as well. Can you tell us why did you decide to set Saw X after the first one, directly after Saw 1? Because of what the fans wanted. Yeah, they they wanted Johnny Smith. They wanted Tobin Bell. We couldn't do it. it to, to give them what they wanted, we had to go back in time. We, I mean, we literally from everything and, you know, I, I kind of want to hold some things back. You should talk to Kevin about the way he set the look and the feel and the smell uh, filter wise and everything, even to the point we called Charlie Clouser, who's, uh, as you probably know, is Nine Inch Nails guy. But he does, he's since Saw One, he's down our, our score. And we talked to him about pulling your stems from Saw One, Saw Two, Saw Three, all your sounds, all your weirdness and uh, apply it to this movie. And he uh, he absolutely crushed it. As you say, we are going to talk to Kevin ourselves, but can you tell us about your relationship with Kevin? Like he's been part of the series for kind of as almost as long as you guys. Kevin has seen every frame of Saw that has ever been shot. He either directed or edited every Saw movie. And the ones that he directed, he also was, of course, heavily involved in the editing of. He set the look of the franchise. He set the, I mean, literally... Kevin Greutert is as much responsible for the success of the Saw franchise as anybody else, if not more so. And so why did he feel like the the right person to helm this, this film? If we're going to go back in time and shoot a movie in some specific time frame, how could it be any other person, the person that has, as Mark said, and especially the first five, edited every single frame? If we're gonna, we need to, we need to, you know, thread the needle perfectly. There's only one person that can do it. And let's talk maybe a little bit about 
one of the the most fun elements of the Saw movies as a whole, which are obviously the traps. Um, how you've talked a lot about working with Tobin, working with Kevin, but how do you work with the trap team? So the team that actually designs and makes the trap a reality. Like, do you have much input in that, or how are you involved in that process? The traps are always the last thing that we do. We work on the story. And once we get the story, we'll be like trap one, trap two, trap three. And then once we have the story all worked out, we'll all sit down and try and come up with what are great traps. One of the things we really try to do is make it interesting, make it a story, and then try to fill in the traps and things like that. So once the story is down, there's sometimes in certain scripts we've had, where we just have a placeholder. And, you know, whether it be David Hackle or different productions, Anthony Stabley on this one, who is tremendous, we basically will build out the trap based on where we are in the story, where the logic is. But we try to get the story and the script right first. Do you have, a, I mean, it might be like trying to choose between your children, but do you each have a favorite trap so far? And I guess excluding Saw X, because that might be a bit spoilery. Yeah. Well, for me, the, uh, the Shawnee head trap, um, is my favorite for numerous reasons. First of all, it was on the short that we saw, but in that one, uh, Lee Wanell was actually in the head trap. I mean, and, you know, um, and also I'm the guy on the floor that gets uh, his guts ripped out when she takes the key. So for me, that's always my favorite trap. <laughs> all, all kidding aside, though, the one that really gets gets me is the needle, the, 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 probably the simplest trap we've ever done, which is the needle pit. Yes, yeah. that's my favorite too. I mean, honestly, it's by far the easiest, not easiest, but I mean, the, the easiest to, to make. And viscerally, it sticks with everybody. Mm. I mean, then everybody kind of will always remember Shawnee Smith and the needle pit. And you mentioned that the needle pit was the easiest trap by far to make. What was the most complicated one to pull off? What was the one, Mark, where we had like the, the, the pig guts coming down? And the, the pig guts coming down was hard. Um, Scott Patterson so and the water trap was, was really hard just because there was water. And uh, anytime you put anything in water, it's, it's complicated. Peeling um, off the woman's scalp where we pulled her hair straight back, her scalp mm. back. That was kind of complicated. The twisty, it, you know, the, the yeah, twisty, twisty Tim. Tim. Like, yeah, I mean, honestly, the actors have been amazing partners in these because especially the ones that are getting tortured because it's not easy. It's not fun. You know, they've all been it's hard to do. I mean, like you talked about Scott Patterson, Scott Patterson literally had water. There was real water in there. So it's Mm -hmm. not like, you know, the thing is, is we don't have two hundred and fifty million dollar budgets like a, a Marvel movie. So we actually actually shoot almost everything practically so you know we we need to uh be safe and be better but there's no cheating Mm. Uh, i love i love the performances from all of the right down to kind of like quite small sort of victim parts like that guy and i think it's in six on the carousel who bellows you look at me when you're killing me and it's uh, (laughs) it's a a lot that delivery but it's wonderful we've been blessed with great actors and uh you know, most of the actors are not stars in our movies. They're just really good actors. It's so funny that you mentioned the pig vat and the needles, because when we were talking earlier, uh, Anna and I both picked out those exact two. Anna picked needles. I picked pig vats. No way. So, yeah, that's those so are funny. The two, yeah. 
you know, those are the two that get me. So I'm, I'm maybe well, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not special. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel well, like they're universal almost. Thanks so much, guys. No, thank you for for being fans. We appreciate it. Huge thanks to Mark and Oren for taking the time to chat to us. Sadly, that is it for this episode. But thank you so much to all of our amazing guests for joining us. And thank you for listening or watching. Remember, Saw X is out on September the 29th and it can only be seen in cinemas. This season of Seeing Saw is produced by Industrious Studios for Lionsgate.